Let's begin. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Emor, and which is chapter uh, begins at chapter twenty-one, Perik Chaf Aleph in Vayikra. And as we do, we'll go quickly through uh, the Parsha and then touch on some of the points um, that are uh, sort of pop out. So the beginning, the first section talks about the specific um, uh, laws, the, the um, Kedusha, as it were, that per- pertains to a Kohen. And then the second one is the, to the uh, Kohen Gadol, the rules that apply to the Kohen Gadol. And uh, the next uh, two sections deal with the invalidation of the service in the Beis HaMikdash of a Kohen, uh, that has a blemish and or uh, or 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 the carbon the animal that has a blemish that would be um in that would make it invalid also if one is if a coin is tame has become uh, has a ritual impurity that also that they would not be able to partake in the service the avoda in the base mikdash or any carbon and an invalidation um uh, there and uh, really of any kachim, anything holy, not to partake in when one is tummy. Um, the the uh, the next section deals with the birth of a, which is we're up to twenty six, uh, verse twenty six now in chapter twenty two, that any any um, animal can only be brought after it, brought as an offering only after it's been with its mother for seven days, uh, a full week, and only thereafter can it be brought as a carbon. An interesting mitzvah. And uh, we didn't get to talk about in the past weeks, because we were, we didn't get together for this, about some of the concepts of carbon. So hopefully we'll try and touch on that a little bit to just understand, uh, um, you know, uh, for, for us, there's a there's a whole section, a whole part of Torah that we don't get to experience, that we don't have a connection to on a on a uh, experiential side, an experiential way. So we we can talk about it to hopefully learn some of the messages and the lessons, even though um, we obviously are not doing it in 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 the experiential way that the Torah this mitzvah these mitzvahs apply. So we're up to chapter 30, uh, 23, which is more familiar because we read this um, at every Chag, because it, it goes through the Yamim uh, Tovim, the Chagim, and it says, these are the pronounced days that you will call a holiness. Shabbos, Pesach, the counting of the Omer, so the cutting of the Omer, the counting of the Omer, the um, uh, Shavuos, the, the Chag HaKatsir, the Harvest Festival, um, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, Sukkot, the uh, the living in the Sukkah and the taking of the uh, um, the uh, Arba Minim, the four species, and then in chapter twenty four, we get to uh, the uh, back to the service of the uh, the Avodah Mikdash. We have the illumination of the Menorah. We have the Lechem him the showbread, the 12 breads on the table. And um, then we have, it ends with a, 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 an interesting episode, an interesting 
uh, episode, the episode of the uh, the individual who who um, cursed God and not knowing what to do, and then it ends with with uh, the the concepts of punishment and basting. So that's the overview of the parsha. Quickly, let us begin with. Um, a little bit if, uh, uh, of the Kedusha, the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol, and, um, and, and try and get to uh, some of the meaning of Korban, um, and, and then hopefully uh, a little bit about the Chagim and the Shobrek. Let me turn the computer. Maybe there'll be a little bit better lighting, and you'll be able to see my face. Oh well, try. You still have a good tan. That's the problem. I don't have a tan, <laughs> and it looks like I did. Okay. Okay. So, um, the the first part, uh, beginning of twenty, chapter twenty-one, verses one through nine, talk about the kedusha of a coin. And if we look at verse eight, we have. Um, uh, well, let's actually six. In in verse six, a pasuk uh, vav, it says, "Kedoshim yiu lelokehem." They shall be holy to Hashem their God, and they will not defile the name of Hashem their God, because it is the fire offerings of Hashem, bread for Hashem that they bring close, and therefore they shall be holy. So the the statement here is that that they have an obligation to, to be holy, to act holy, on account of the representation of what they do for the, rela- the relationship with Hashem. Uh, verse uh, uh, 8 has it differently. Vikidashto, and you will sanctify, because the bread of Hashem, he brings close. Kadoshielach, he will be holy to you, for I am Hashem, who uh, uh, I am Hashem, am holy, and I make you holy. So, just to contrast these two verses, in verse six it says they shall be holy. It is their obligation to act holy, to be holy, because of what they represent. And in eight, it is incumbent upon us to sanctify them, to make them holy, because. Hashem is holy, and Hashem makes uh, uh, makes us holy. So uh, when we look about uh, look at the Kohanim, we're trying to figure out what what does this mean. So actually, the Gemara has a discussion, a question: Are the Kohanim representative of us, or representing the Mikdash? Uh, 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 they are representing Hashem, as it were. Are are they Hashem's representatives to us, or our representatives to Hashem? Right? What's what is the the function or the the structure of this? And actually, both of them are are here in the pasuk. That's why it's it's really this dual uh, 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 this 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 dual position that Kohanim have. They are kadosh, and they have to be sanctified to Hashem because uh, they are 
the, the work they do represents that holiness, that dedication to Hashem, Vahayu Kodesh, and they have to be Kodesh. And Vikidashto, and we have to sanctify them, make them holy, because Hashem is the one who makes us holy. So what does holiness mean? Uh, is in and of itself a, uh, a question. And that's really in last week's parsha, Kedoshim Tihiyu. Now, Kedoshim Tihiyu, you shall be holy, is a commandment to us that we have to be holy, similar to verse 6, where the Kohanim need to be holy. So all of us need to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? So typically when we think of uh, a, a holiness and being holy, we, we think of um, asceticism, of detachment from the world, of, uh, uh, of living a simple life. Um, and uh, perhaps there's something to that, but that in and of itself is not holiness. That only leads to holiness, perhaps. But holiness is something else entirely. Kodesh in, in, in Hebrew means to be sanctified or, or to be uh, dedicated to something. Kedusha is the ability to be focused, to be dedicated to something and not be distracted. So we have moments that we are uh, really connected. Let's call it that, okay? Um, we're connected. We're, we're, we feel inspired, we feel um, elevated, we're doing something good. And we always want to maintain that. At that moment, it feels like, okay, if I can maintain this, that'll be just great. That's a, 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 a momentary Kedusha. But Kedusha, by definition, means a constant. By, it, it, it means the ability to remain dedicated and not get distracted. So if we think of, well, asceticism or detachment from the world, that is only a tool towards Kedusha, a way to not be distracted. But ultimately, not, that's, that's a, 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 if you would, an unhealthy way of being Kodesh. Uh, it's an unhealthy way because I... I need to not have distractions in order to remain focused. But if something is really connected to one uh, uh, to someone or something, no matter what the what the distractions are, one would remain that way uh, uh, connected and not distracted. Say, for instance, I, I'm I'm holding my newborn child, right? So that that is such connection and such elation and such a, a wonderful feeling that there may be noise and there could be David's barking and honking and but nothing's really distracting. I don't need a lack of noise in order to be not be distracted from the moment. The very moment that the, the, that the depth and the meaning of, of that connection is too powerful in and of itself, so powerful in and of itself that I don't need that I can, I can feel connected in and of itself. So per, the, the mitzvah of Kedusha is the concept of maintaining a focus and maintaining a direction where, uh, where nothing can derail me from that 
direction. That's a mitzvah that we have, or we all have in last week's parsha. Kedoshim tihiyu. You shall all be holy. Ki kadoshani, because you're a, a, a just as Hashem is singly focused, if you would. There's no, there's no distraction before Hashem, right? So too, we have this ability to what it is that we are focused on and meant to do. And our goal is we can and shall remain and attain and, 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 and retain that Kedusha. Um, the, uh, so the mitzvah of the Kohen in the service, in the Avodah, is two separate Kedushas, if you would. There is a kedusha in um, there is a kedusha in in uh, their connection to Hashem, where their uh, their service representing us is one that mean that requires a a a uh, singular focus in representing the the dedication and connection to Hashem, and so. For that, there needs to be um, an understanding of of a kedusha that they are um, uh, uh, um, kodesh to Hashem, sanctified to Hashem, meaning that, that there is a singular focus. But also, we have to make them kodesh. We have to dedicate them as the representatives of that kedusha, because ultimately we recognize that what makes us Kodesh, what is our focus? What is our uh, um, singular focus that we don't want to be distracted from or, or derailed from? It's, it's a relationship with Hashem. It's a connection to Hashem. For I am Hashem who sanctifies you, who makes you Kodesh. And so we have to sanctify the coin. So the coin is both our representative in, in, in the focus to our relationship with Hashem, and uh, so too the uh, the uh, Kohen representing Hashem um, as well, uh, or, or in their role of the Mikdash, of the Temple, uh, they also have to maintain that Kedusha. So before we go to the Kohen Gadol, I'd like to jump to the Karban, where it says that the... the, the uh, animal brought cannot have a blemish and talk about that a little bit because we're so not connected to to carbon and the idea of an offering that it's it's strange to us and hopefully we can try and, and think a little bit about what does it mean to have a representation of a relationship so uh you know when we think of uh um, sim- symbolism. Often we we take symbolism to be very shallow, and so the service of the Beis Hamikdash seems to be really empty, archaic. A a a concept of of symbolic relationship is is you know is devoid of depth and meaning. But if we translate into our own lives. We may find that it's it, it, that many things we do are not functional; they're they're symbolic of the relationships that we have. So, 
take a, a handshake versus grabbing onto someone when you're uh, uh, slipping and falling, right? So if I grab onto someone's hand as I'm about to fall, right? So that's very functional. There is absolutely no connection per se, but they may save my life at that moment, right? It, it is completely uh, um, uh, important, right? It is very real. It, it could have an immense effect on me and on them, but there's, but it, 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 it doesn't symbolize a, a connection or relationship and it isn't a relationship. It's a momentary connection, which could be very helpful, right? So if I was falling and, and it was a, a place of danger and I could injure myself or even worse, right? That grabbing onto that hand is completely functional, does not tell us anything about the relationship, and yet is very important. But then I can be holding my child's hand, my my my, my spouse's hand, my, my somebody that I'm right that that relationship is completely not functional. There's no meaning to to it in function world. I can stand on my own, and they can stand on their own, and it's perfectly fine. What is that doing? That symbol is the intention behind it, and it has nothing to do with the act itself. In fact, in fact, if I hold that hand, but I'm distracted and thinking about something else, it's even worse. Because it's symbolic of a relationship. It isn't functional. It doesn't have a, a, a meaning in any way other than in showing that relationship. And if in the midst of that relationship, I'm distracted and thinking of something else, that's, that actually makes it even worse. So the concept of uh, 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 yeah, holding hands, a hug, whatever act you can think of, of a, which isn't functional in and of itself, it's just there representing that relationship if it's devoid of meaning, it's, it, 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 it's actually counterproductive. That's the concept of Kedusha and that's the concept of Karba. I remember a very striking uh, cartoon strip that I saw in the, you know, in the, in the newspaper funnies way back when, uh, <laughs> when people used to get newspapers. Uh, so it was, um, uh, 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 Hager, the the um, the Viking, or was that the, um, the Viking um, um, cartoon? Right. So he was always making, you know, doing it wrong. Right. So he went on a trip and he came back with a box of chocolates. Yeah, and and his wife was surprised and amazed, like, "Wow, he remem remembered me on the trip." And the next, uh, in, in the, in the uh, next scene, the next little box had her opening the box of chocolate and all the chocolates had been eaten. Uh, he had, had had them all. And in the next one, yeah, he's tumbling down the stairs and she's really upset at the front door. And he's saying, I, you told me it's the thought that counts, right? 
so uh, the the idea is yes, the the it's not about the box of chocolates. It's it's sure right. We understand it's not about that. It's about the symbolism behind it. It's about the offering in there. It's about the the the, the heart and mind that comes along with it. But if you ate the chocolates you showed, you didn't have that heart and mind with it, right? So you shouldn't have to give an explanation to a comic strip, but it's important to this to this idea here that that's what a carbon is. In 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 the functional grabbing of the other person's hand as I'm slipping, it my intention of connection or that person's intention connection is totally irrelevant. It's only the function the functionality that we have in it, that as I'm falling, the other is holding me up. The other is there that I can grab onto. That's all it is. And so the other can be distracted. The other can be asleep. It could even just be a branch. The other could be completely non-connected. And, and, and that connection is there because the connection is functional. The connection is there just as a, as a, a, a thing that I, I hold on to. But if we're talking about the relationship, if holding the other's hand is to, to sense and feel the, the intention of the other and the focus of the other and vice versa, if, if it's devoid of that, it's, it, it, it's meaningless. And that's why when it talk, comes to carbon, the Torah specifically and multiple times says that any, in, any wrong intention invalidates the whole thing. And it's so severe, those invalidations, thinking that you're going to eat it at the wrong time or bring it the wrong time or whatever it is, the wrong amount, those invalidations, because the whole thing is about what we were calling Kedusha, the sense of dedication, the sense of connection and lack of distraction in that relationship. So the, it, it, we now understand that if I'm bringing a box of chocolates, or in this case, an offering, and it has a blemish, it's not just the thought that counts. Yes, it's the thought that counts. But the thought has to be one of relationship building, of showing a dedication, connection, and, and understanding, uh, a wish that my, my very self can be devoid of the selfishness so that I can be there for, for the purpose for the for the the goal that's what the 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 kedusha the holiness of relationship with hashem is and so the kohen must represent us in that kedusha and must be representative of kedusha itself for themselves and therefore also the kohen cannot have a blemish uh, and the uh, the offering cannot have a blemish not because a blemish is a, 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 a problem. Somebody's missing a limb. That's not a, a, a problem in the person themselves. They can be, uh, they, they can be a, 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 you know, the Dayan. They can be the Talmud Chacham. They can be the scholar. They can do all things other than the representative thing. The box of chocolates. The box of chocolates actually has to have the chocolates in there, right? So when it's, we're talking about function, so, so 
uh, yes, it, it, the, the symbolism doesn't matter because we're talking about functions. So all other parts of living that we live with each other and care for each other and, and, take, and actually live, then it doesn't have to have these symbolisms. But when we're dealing with the base Hamikdash, that's where we, as it were, hold Hashem's hand, Hashem holds our hand. That's where we give Hashem a hug, Hashem gives us a hug. That has to be with intention and it has to be without distraction. And it has to be with, uh, with, with shleimut, with completeness, with a wholesomeness. And any of those uh, lacks would not be an appropriate way to bring that uh, connection. So that's the first part, the Kohen, and a little bit about the carbon and um, uh, the, the um, uh, lack of blemish. Okay. Now, a little bit about the Kohen Gadol. So what makes the Kohen Gadol, what is the, the specialness of the Kohen Gadol? Um, it, so uh, only flesh of chocolates? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. So um, you guys are distracting me. <laughs> no, just joking, Aki. Go ahead. You can use your jokes and puns. Um, oh, look at that. So uh, the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol is different than the regular Kohen. Uh, and this is something that's very uh, special as well about the, the service. So the Kohen Gadol is unique from all the other Kohanim by, by the stature. But what does the stature say or do? The Kohen will have uh, a, a couple of things that make them, uh, the coin Gadol, make them special. One is that the coin Gadol is the only one that can do the service on Yom Kippur. Going into the Holy of Holies in the Kodesh of Kadashim, only the coin Gadol can do that, and only on Yom Kippur. Um, the, the second thing is that every single day, the Kohen would have to bring a meal offering of uh, a certain amount of flour and oil, and uh, that was the offering of the coin Gadol every single day. Uh, it's the same thing every day. What is so uh, special about uh, about this? So if we if we think about um, our moments, if you would, we have moments of great inspiration. Whatever it may be, um, a moment that may be life changing. That it, 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 it's. Uh, helpful for us in, in, in our uh, uh, ability to do what we do. But most of the days, it's the daily grind. It's hard. It's often seems meaningless. Uh, even if we believe in what we do and like what we do, it's the same as yesterday and the same as tomorrow. It seems really hard. Um, if we would say, if we would represent that, we would say that's, it becomes stale. So if we think about the world, there are constants which never get stale because they're not alive. Take for instance, uh, a rock. A rock does not become stale, right? It is and remains what it is. It's it, it, in, in Hebrew, it's called a domain. It is 
solid, what it is, it's it, and therefore not alive. But everything that's alive will eventually wither, right? If it's alive, it needs a constant, uh, 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 it needs a constant source of life to regenerate that. Otherwise, it'll uh, stale and wither away. So that is a sign of life in and of itself. It is a, so meach, if it grows, right? So that's a form of life. And then it can, it, it can lose that. The, the ability to do every single day anew and perhaps a little better than yesterday that is the service of the Beis HaMikdash that the Kohen Gadol represents. And that is something that we have to be able to have within our life, that we have to learn from the Kohen Gadol. And that's the, the, uh, the laws specifically pertaining to the Kohen Gadol, never coming into contact with the dead, only marrying someone who has never been married before. It, uh, um, these represent the constant renewal, the constant freshness, if you would, that the Kohen Gadol has to represent. So that every day when we do something, we do it anew as if it's new. And that's a very hard thing, to keep something fresh, to make it anew every day, even though it's the same thing I did yesterday and the same thing I did the day before and the same thing I'm going to do tomorrow. We're in the midst of the counting of the Omer, which is a part of this week's uh, parsha, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit as well. It starts off with an excitement, the harvest of the new barley, the new season, and it's the second day of Pesach, and, and it's wonderful. And then it ends, right? And then we go with 49 days of counting. What do we do? We count Hayom Yom. Today is day, right? Today is a day. Today is a day. Today is a day. That's a very hard thing. Because it's, it, 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 what makes today any more special than yesterday or tomorrow? You know what it is? It's a day that I count and that you count. It's a day for living. If we can attach that to life, that's renewal. That becomes a meaningful day. So when we count the Omer, we say, Hayom Yom. Today is a day. Today is a day that counts. Today is a day that's meaningful. Today is a day that is worth it. Even though I'm doing the same as I did yesterday and the same as I'm going to do tomorrow. So that's the service of the Kohen Gadol every morning and every afternoon. The same exact meal offering. And, it, and it's an inaugural offering every day. Every day is like the first day on the job like the first day in my service of Hashem, like the first day of my relationship. That's exciting and difficult. We have at the end of the Parsha, something very similar. The end of the Parsha, we have the showbread, the lechem hapani. So if we could, we can jump to uh, chapter 24, Perak Chavdalad, verses five through nine. And there it says, you will take 12 breads, um, uh, uh, these showbreads, and you will place the 12 
six on one pile on the table and six on the other on the table, and they will have uh, uh, the Lavona. And how long will they be there? The Lavona is a frankincense. From Shabbos to Shabbos, you will place it there. So it sat on the table for seven days. Tamid, always, as an everlasting covenant. And this uh, always tells us that it's bread that's always there. Great. Okay, great. So there's breads, 12 breads on the table, and they're constantly on the table. How, how is that meaningful? What's to, to what purpose? So the Mishnah tells us that these breads were miraculous. For seven days, they stayed hot and fresh. as if they just came out of the oven. Now that's nice, it's beautiful, but what do we need that for? Just make a fresh bread every day. What is it that makes uh, the bread not fresh? It's that it's stale, right? It, it was there the day before, and it was there the day before that, and it was there the day before that. That's the natural way of the world, that as something continues, it becomes less exciting. It becomes stale. It's not fresh. So specifically, the Torah says, put a bread on the table, 12 breads representing each one of you, right? Put the 12 breads on the table and they will remain fresh because that's the message. That's the purpose. That's the symbol of the Mishka, of the service. It's not that every day is newly exciting, but in spite of it being the same mundane as yesterday, it is fresh, it remains fresh. It defies the nature of the world that as it goes on, it withers. In fact, perhaps as it goes on, it gets better. That's the counting of the Omer, right? Every day we count a day, but we count one more than yesterday. We're, we're adding to what we've had. Yes, it's the same as yesterday, but if we can accumulate with yesterday, then it's more. So the, the, uh, the concept of the Kohen, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, which the parsha begins the second section, and the second, the last section in the showbread, the Lechem Apanim, is to tell us this idea that we must maintain the freshness in, in, in what we have. Our relationship with Hashem is so easily mundane. And the truth is it does. Right? If you say the same tefillah, the same Amida every day, it is really difficult, really difficult to maintain a kavana, a, a, an intent, and a relationship within the bracha. Even if you say it once a week, it's hard to maintain that intent, right? But it comes to Yom Kippur, and it's like, oh my goodness, I can have intent, right? Why? Because it's special, and it is. So the service of the Kohen Gadol is Yom Kippur and the same thing every day. The specialty which inspires us and the everyday so that it doesn't become mundane, so that it doesn't become stale. 
every day. We have to remember what it is we have. So many things that are so precious to us, we do the same thing to. We take it for granted, it's right there, and it just becomes stale. A relationship with a child, spouse, parent, friend, Hashem, Torah. It's just there, yeah, whatever. We forget to appreciate it. When we forget, for, for, forget that it is warm and fresh, waiting for us to hold its hand and appreciate what that relationship is and not to be distracted. And so we need reminders. We need the reminders throughout the year. But the reminders are only there to remind us that every day is a new fresh day that every day is special. And so in the midst of this section, we have the, the, the Chagim. It starts off with the Kohen Gadol, it ends with the showbread, the Lechem upon him. But in the midst, we have the Chagim, because the Chagim are Mikra'i Kodesh. They are called to holiness. They are called to this reminder of the relationship, of maintaining the relationship. However, it is easy to get distracted. So we have these reminders, but it's really not about the reminder. It's about the day every, day in, day out. And that's the truth of the relationship. That in the day in, day out, when the going gets tough, when, when, when it, it really feels just empty, to remember that relationship, to appreciate what we have in that relationship, to value it, to cherish it, to remain focused on it without distraction. So that's the section of the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol, and the, uh, at the end, the Lechem Apanim, the Shobrev. Let's jump a little bit to the uh, middle section of the Chagim, um, the holidays. We'll go through them quickly. Hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see a little bit about some of this. Okay, so we have chapter 23, Hashem. So it starts off with Moad uh, Hashem, the appointed times of Hashem, the times that we have set time to have a relationship with Hashem, as opposed to the, the daily, day in, day out. And what are they? Well, six days you do work. It is a Shabbos in all of your dwelling places, not to do malacha. So the first is every week. You do work six days. We need a weekly reminder of what it's about. The relationship with Hashem, that Hashem is the creator and we're not going to do creative work and we can sit back and relax and we can in all of our places, wherever we are, we have the ability to connect to Hashem, to make a calling of Kodesh, of dedication and a relationship in the places we are. So within the weekly grind, within the weekly day-to-day, -day, in, day-out, we have a call of Kodesh. And then there are appointed times, Mikra uh, Kodesh. Now, the distinction between Shabbos and, and the others is that in Shabbos, 
we are, it's set by Hashem. It, it, we don't define that. It doesn't make a difference what day of the week we call it. It's, it's set by Hashem. Um, it's an interesting uh, halachic matter as well as far as the dateline goes. If international dateline changes, does that change when Saturday, when Shabbos is? If Saturday changes in a country because the dateline changes, does that change when Shabbos is, right? Because um, Hawaii was really a part of the, the uh, 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 of Asia until it became a part of the United States. And so it changed uh, its side of the dateline. And so does that change when Shabbos is in Hawaii? In any case, but on Yantif, uh, Yantif actually follows uh, Yantif follows our calendar set by the pronouncement of the new moon. It doesn't make a difference of when it actually is. It's based upon the pronouncement of Basin. And we've talked about that before. And so that's why we have the concept of two days of Yantiv, because we don't have a set calendar. In any case, the first one is Pesach. It's a Chag Amatzos. It is, Grace wants an answer to the question. Oh, can't talk about that here. Can't talk about that now where this is a Parsha class. It's not a Halacha class, just opening the topic for you to now have a, uh, an agonizing thought of like, oh no, what's, what's, what is that? But not for today. Um, Grace, the topic is way too big for today. Really, it's a huge topic. But now let's let's <laughs> try to get through 15 minutes on the on on the Chagim, on the holidays. So the first one is Pesach. It it is called Chag Hamatzot. We call it Pesach to remember the the uh, um, the uh, Pesach. But really, Pesach is the day before the Matzah holiday. It's the day of the offering of the Pesach. That's the what we call uh, the you know Erev Pesach really is Pesach. The rest of the holiday, the seven days, is Chag Hamatzos, because the mitzvah of those seven days is the eating of the matzah, the first night obligatory, and the rest of the Chag only if you if you choose to do it. Um, the verse nine talks about the Omer, the mitzvah of the Omer. The mitzvah of the Omer has. Uh, some parts that are not so commonly known. Uh, the the first is that on the morning of the uh, second day of Pesach, they would go out to the barley fields and take a, a sickles full of the new harvest and bring it up to Yerushalayim. They would uh, grind it down into flour and bring a meal offering. And only grains that, uh, that grew, um, that had taken root beforehand or grew in the year beforehand, are allowed to be eaten from there on. Any new grain that is planted and grows after that day are forbidden until the next Pesach. This is the prohibition of chadash, of new grain. And that's in verse 14. V'lechem v'kali v'karmel, bread, toasted oats, or fresh, uh, fresh wheat berries shall not be eaten until that very day. You cannot eat the new grain. So our, in, in America, we have two seasons for grains, usually. There's winter wheat and spring wheat. The winter wheat 
is always by the time it hits the market, by the time you were eating it, it's already past Pesach. Right? It's harvested and comes out. So it's only after Pesach, we're fine. But this, this spring wheat actually grows in the spring after Pesach. Some years it will have taken root already before Pesach and also depends where. In the warmer climates like Arizona and in California, they plant it already before Pesach. In the cooler climates like Oregon and New York, and they actually plant it usually after Pesach and depending how late Pesach is. This year, Pesach was pretty early. And so it, uh, um, it not likely was not planted yet. And so if somebody gets a, a spring wheat, um, it likely is uh, a part of this concept of chadash, of the new grain of the year. It's a question of whether it applies outside of Eretz Yisrael or only in Eretz Yisrael. And since we don't know in any case when, if, whether it's spring wheat or, 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 or a winter wheat. So uh, generally people are, are um, lenient and just use any flour in the United States. Uh, uh, however, you may hear the term where someone says they are strict about yashan, yashan being old grain. That's this idea that um, you can only have grains that have been grown or at least started to grow prior to Pesach. Then we have the mitzvah, which we talked about, which is counting, and you will count from the day after Pesach, uh, you will count 49 days, 50 days, the 50th day is Shavuot, seven times, seven weeks, and then you go from the offering of the barley to the offering of the wheat, which is the two breads that come on, on Shavuot, okay? Uh, uh, which is verse 17, you will bring lechem tenufa, two breads, shtayim, uh, uh, two breads, and this is the only offerings, really, of the holidays, or, or, or really, there's only one other uh, offering in the Beis HaMikdash that are chametz. Everything in the Beis HaMikdash had to be matzah, had to be non-chametz, non-leavened. However, on Shavuos, this bread is leavened because we have attained an elevation where we now are able to ha- be totally free. We come to the time of the receiving of the Torah, which is the Chag HaKatsir. Before we get to that, the Torah here throws in something that seemingly has nothing to do with the holidays. And that is verse 22. And when you harvest your field, do not harvest the entire field. Leave a corner of the field for the poor and for the foreigner that lives in your land. And also, when you gather up your field, if you drop something, leave it there for them. Let the poor and the foreigner uh, collect that. Why? The word used here is ta'azov, leave it for them. The Midrash teaches the, a very fundamental perspective that we ought to have when we look at the world. We look at the world and we see our land, my property, my gains. And so this is my field. If you'd like, I'll give you some. We have that mitzvah. Once you, the the tithing, 10% of what you take in, you're going to give 10%. Sure. But prior to that, there's a, a step, which is don't harvest it all. Leave some. Leaving means you never took it. It wasn't yours and you gifted it. 
but rather you're leaving it, it's, it isn't even yours. As we come out of Mitzrayim, as we come out of Pesach, and we count 49 days and we get to the receiving of the Torah, Shavuos, we have to, um, we have to get to a place of where we recognize that we're leaving for the poor. Leaving means it isn't ours to begin with. I only take some. It really is from Hashem. That perspective is so crucial to understand that what we have is blessing from Hashem. And so we're not gifting the poor. We're just not taking everything. We're leaving some for the poor. We're not gifting to the foreigner. We're just not taking it all. But we're taking because Hashem has gifted us. We're taking because Hashem has granted us. We have the blessing to be able to take. But the perspective that we must have is that even in that which is ours, what we have attained, what we have purchased, what we have worked for, is a gift from Hashem. If we recognize that we came from slavery, if we recognize that we got the land as a gift, if we recognize that all we have is the relationship with Hashem, the Kedusha, then we can recognize that in this world, what we attain is a gift from Hashem. And so we can leave some of the gift on the table. We can leave some of it for those less fortunate so that they can take. Whereas the tithe, the, the maser, is a gift coming from us. The leket, the shikha, the peah, the, what we leave in the field, does not come from us. It's not our gift to the poor. It actually is hefker, ownerless. It never was ours to begin with. We leave it for the poor. It's a very fundamental and a very deep way of uh, perspective on, uh, on the bracha that we have from Hashem, the blessing we have from Hashem, uh, to see that we get it from Hashem and that we leave some for those less fortunate. And so this, even though this is not a parsha, um, and Alex pointed out, you know, we have some of these mitzvahs already in the previous parshas, but here in the midst of the, uh, here in the midst of the, the um, uh, uh, Chagim, where we're talking about maintaining our Kedusha in life, there is nothing more proud, well, not nothing more proud, but there's, it, there's something so proud about our own harvest. Anybody that has grown a few tomatoes, right? No, it's like, oh, these are my tomatoes. You've got to taste my tomatoes, right? My cucumber. It's so proud. I, this came from my little garden in the back. Can you imagine if you had like a whole garden and like a, a real field and you had a lot? Like that's mine. And the Torah says, well, 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 well. And actually, you leave some there because it actually isn't. Yes. You worked hard and you can take the bulk of it in and you'll give tzedakah from that. But you're going to leave some that you don't even take. And it's not yours that you're gifting someone. It's just not yours on your field. And I'm not anti-land ownership and I'm not you know, anti-possessions. But the Torah wants us to understand a perspective, to put it in perspective. And that perspective will help us see the bracha in what we have and the relationship with Hashem when we have that and the graciousness with which we will share 
or even just leave for those that need. So that comes on the Chag of, of, of Torah, of receiving the Torah. Then we have Rosh Hashanah, the remembrance through Teruah, through the awakening of uh, um, uh, the, the, the new beginning. Then we have Yom Kippur on the 10th of that month where Hashem will uh, atone for that. For this day before Hashem, you will be cleansed. A double uh, uh, Shabbos. And then verse 33 begins Sukkot. Now, Sukkot is a double holiday. If you look at the way it's written. So in verse uh, 34, in Pasuk Lamedalet, it says, well, on the 15th day of that month, you have a seven-day Chag Sukkot for Hashem. On the first day, it's holy, meaning no work. Seventh day, it's holy, no work. And then the eighth day is Shemini Atzeres, a special holiday. And then verse 37, Lamed Zion says, and these are the holidays of Hashem. Done, seemingly complete. Then, 38, besides for Shabbos, and besides for all the gifts that you give Hashem. 39, and besides for on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have a harvest festival, you will take the fruit, the lulav, the esrog, etc. Well, why are you repeating uh, uh, Sukkot? We already said Sukkot, and we completed the list of the holidays. Why are you throwing in the harvest festival? So the understanding here is, is this. Really, the, the Midrash asks, the Gemara asks, why is Sukkot in, in the fall? Didn't we leave Mitzrayim in the spring? And when we left Mitzrayim, went into the desert, Hashem made tents for us, right? Whether it's physical tents, cloud tents, whatever it is, but we had these tents already in the spring as we entered the desert. So why do we make the, the Chag HaSukkot, the Sukkot festival in the, the fall? And the Gemara says, because everybody goes into tents in the, in the spring. That's what people are you know, moving out of their winter home into their, their summer cooler homes. Great. But when everybody's moving back into their winter homes in fall, we go out and build a tent, a sukkah. That shows what we're doing and it helps us remember. So why then? Why not midwinter? So that's the second. There's another festival that has nothing to do with the sukkah. That's the harvest festival, Chaga Asif. Again, a reminder, you bringing in all the blessing you have and you want to say, Look at my fruit that I harvested. Look at the grapes that I harvested. Look at the, right, the tomatoes, whatever it may be. And you feel proud and you're about to say, look what I did. Look what I made. And then you remind yourself by putting, by taking the fruit, whether it's a, a palm branch, which is a fruit, a branch of a tree that just produces fruit, the tree doesn't smell good, or the esrog or the hadas, which both have a good scent as well, and the arava, which is doesn't have a good scent, it doesn't have a, 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 any fruit, but it's so important because it absorbs so much of the water, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evergreen. And you take all of these and you bring them together and you say, Hashem, it is by your bracha that I have this. 
we wave it around to say it's the wind and the rain and the elements that Hashem, you present to us, that you create. Yes, I can take a seed and I can put it into the ground and I can till that ground to make it happen. But ultimately, if not for your nature, that would let that decompose and then become life again. And if not for your nature, Hashem, that makes the rain come down in its time and makes the wind come at the right time and not too strong to break it and not too, uh, too, com- uh, too, too calm where it'll just be too hot. Just right to keep the elements right so that the produce can grow. And so when I feel so proud to look at what I did, I must remember the partnership I have with Hashem that without any of this, nothing could have happened. Without all these elements of the nature of Hashem and the bracha from Hashem. And that again will allow me to see that what protects me really is not a roof, but my schach. So we put the sukkah holiday, which is the recognition of Hashem's sustenance and protection of us at the same time as at a harvest where we want to feel like I provide for myself and say, no, it is the bracha from Hashem. When I work and try the bracha from Hashem that is successful, that allows me to have this bracha. And that will allow for me to go back a few verses and say, oh, I'm going to share that with those that need it because I recognize where this bracha comes from. And that will allow me on the day in, day out, on the mundane to remain focused and say, ah, there's Kedusha, there's a relationship with the higher being that wills the goodness that is in our world and the wills the goodness in me as a person. And so that I can remain focused and Kadosh in the relationship with Hashem.